it is good to be back in the sanctuary, um, back with the opportunity to, um, to hear the worship team leading us in worship. And we are slowly transitioning our way back to worshiping here. And for those that are part of True North Church that are local and um, be on the lookout for some announcements later this week for our plan. We've been working diligently on this for a couple of weeks and uh, we're excited about the direction we're going. All right, here's my heads up for all of you men and kids. You know what's next Sunday, right? Mother's Day, yeah. So in preparation for next Sunday, I would love a little help from the children of this church and adults. You can join in as well. And here's how I need your help. Please think about the ways that you love your mom. Matter of fact, if you were to put it into a sentence, maybe it would say something like this. Thank you, mom, for always preparing those meals or for taking care of me when I get hurt. Whatever it is that you are thankful for your mom, and there's probably a long list, try to narrow it down to a couple. Could you please do a couple things? Either email that to me or you can go ahead and text it right now or put it in the comment box if you're watching live. Send it in any direction you want. But if you could send it to me, I'd love to share some of those next week uh, in, our, in our worship service. All right? Yeah, thanks for helping me out. We need this. All right, let's move on. Uh, two words. Vacation spot. Okay, two words. What is your first thought? What was the first location that came to your mind? This is so hard. There's a couple people in here. I just want to look at them right now, and i got to focus on the camera. What is your first thought? Was it a beach? Was it a mountain? Was it an amusement park? Was it going to the lake? What is your vacation spot? I want to know, did anybody choose mm, a desert? Did that come up on anybody's list? Like, I can't wait to go on vacation. I'm going to go to a desert. Probably not, right? I'm sure you didn't. Nobody wants to spend a week or two in the desert, the middle of nowhere, wandering around. I mean, have you ever watched a Western or maybe another movie where they couldn't wait to go into the desert? No, they did not want to go into the desert. It seemed like a form of punishment, right? Even during biblical times, the wilderness or the desert seemed like a reprimand. It's like one step up from being sent to a lake of fire, okay? It was nowhere that anybody wanted to go. And if you did go to the desert, what do you picture? You picture like a solitude or a solitary person just walking along on their own, right? What a horrible thing, walking by yourself in the middle of nowhere. Some of us can't even spell, I was thinking about this, we can't even spell desert. I struggled forever learning how to spell desert. Now, I'm going to help you all out here, okay? Is there one S or two S's? This is how I learned, okay? I was always told dessert has two S's because you want to share dessert with other people. Desert has one S because you never want to be alone in the desert. How's that for help, okay? So for all those kids, uh, tell your teachers you got extra credit this week. You did a little bit more online learning. All right, so desert. If you end up in the desert, it's typically not by choice, right? Nobody chooses to go into the desert. It's a dangerous place. Nobody talks about going there. I can't wait to go, right? And if you are in that situation in the desert, you become bitter, maybe lonely, discouraged, frustrated. It's hot. 
There's no shade. Your skin's getting fried. There's, there's no water. There's no uh, rest for anything because there's sand everywhere. And I mean everywhere, right? It's so annoying. That's desert life. How many of you feel like right now during this pandemic, you're in that desert moment? You're annoyed. Maybe you're a little frustrated right now. Nobody chose this, right? Not one of us chose to be in this moment. Yet we're all sort of ended up there right now. Can you relate to what I'm saying? The amazing thing is that during this desert experience, we get to respond by choice as to how we want to emotionally handle this, how we want to spiritually handle this. You might be told where you can and where you cannot go. You might be told right now who you may or may not hang out with. But no one can force you to respond in this moment, in a certain way, with your attitude. Attitude is your choice, right? So let's picture what we're going through right now is a desert moment. I don't want to talk about surviving the desert. I want to talk about how we're going to thrive through this desert moment. I was looking at 1 Kings chapter 18, and Elijah, this incredible prophet of God. It's like one of my favorite stories. He has this big showdown with this false god called Baal. Now, in 1 Kings 18, 19, it says, Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. She's like this wicked queen. So you got 850 false prophets gathering together on one mountain, then you got Elijah. And we're going to have this little showdown. Who is the real God? So alone he faces hundreds of prophets of Baal, And he wins. Great story. Read it. Read it. Now, this wicked queen Jezebel, she doesn't like the outcome. She puts out a death threat on Elijah. In fear, Elijah runs. From Mount Carmel to Mount Sinai, he runs. Because one ungodly woman scares him. He just beat 850 false prophets. Put to death most of them. 1 Kings chapter 9 Starting in verse 3, after Elijah runs, he starts venting to God. Elijah was afraid. He fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Look how God responds in verse 9. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. 
when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He went out and stood at the entrance of a cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God says to him twice, what are you doing here, Elijah? And twice, Elijah's like, well, this is what I'm doing. Elijah, Elijah, listen to what God's saying. He's not like asking maybe this literal question of, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? God's like, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing with this? This is a wake-up call, Elijah. Yes, you are alone. Yes, you are threatened. Yes, you are discouraged. But what are you doing about it? What are you doing here, Elijah? Like Elijah, a lot of us may be feeling, I'm the only one left. This is a desert experience. My life has been disrupted. I am discouraged. I feel desolate. I feel lonely. God responds in verse 18. He says, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. What an amazing reply. Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 other prophets out there. Right now, are you feeling alone? Do you feel like it's like, I'm, I'm so discouraged right now. I'm, I bet I'm the only one that feels this way. I'm so frustrated right now. You're not alone. You are not alone. Basically, God's saying, I know how you feel alone, but you're not. What are you doing here? Church, listen, don't let your feelings drive you into a caveman position. It stinks. I get it. But you're not alone. You're not alone. Many of us are are feeling that way right now. We feel more distant than ever before. Some of you, you have an excellent home life. I mean, you've got maybe loving siblings and parents. And so a little quarantine, it's all good. It's all good, right? Some of you don't. There's more strife and anger in your house maybe than ever before. Some people don't have that nice home to go to. They go home and there's something evil or painful waiting them. Some people go home and there's nobody there anyway. Some of you live alone. You're being deprived of your opportunity to connect. Some of you may have been feeling this way prior to this pandemic. And because of this pandemic, now it's doubled. This is hard. I I get it. Because after all, we were created for relationships. And God said everything was good, 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 good at creation. You know what he said? was not good for man to be alone. So we get biblically how important it is to have others around us. But more importantly... We can't be separated from God. Let me ask you this. Are you trying to do this without God? I don't know how people can. I really don't. I I think about this like many times I've said, man, without God, I don't know how people get through a moment like this. Now more than ever, I would say that I would make that statement. How can anybody make it through this time without God? I don't know. We, we, We need the savior of this world right now, right here, don't we? And if you're a Christian, let me say this, start acting like one. So many Christians are walking around whining and complaining as if they are alone. You are not alone. 
basic biblical truth. You have God's spirit in you. You are more empowered than anybody else right now. Let the world know it. Let the world see it. You've been saved from the clutches of hell. You have new life. You and I are like Lazarus. We have been spiritually been brought back to life. The stone's been rolled away. We've been ushered out. Jesus has called our name. We are alive. So what are we doing walking around right now in this desolate, dark, discouraging world, hanging our heads? We're alive. You know, Lauren Daigle sings this song, and I, I don't know why I've not heard this song. I bet I have, and I just bet let it pass by. But the other night I was out on the deck, fire going, just sitting out there by myself, and this song came on, and, and I was like, wow. Thanks, God, I needed to hear this. It's called Still Roll Stones, and, and, and I'm going to just say some, read some of these lyrics to you. Actually, let's sing it. Dave, can you come? Oh, never mind. Okay. Um, out of the shadows... Bound for the gallows, a dead man walking, till love came calling. Rise up, rise up. Six feet under, I thought it was over. An answer to prayer, the voice of a Savior. Rise up, rise up. All at once, I came alive. This beating heart, these open eyes. The grave let go, the darkness should have known. You're still rolling stones. Now, I just read these lyrics to you. Just wait till you hear Lauren sing it. It is so encouraging. It's a Lazarus kind of living. What did he do? He rose up, right? Lazarus didn't just stay in that grave. Jesus called his name. He came out. He rose up. He is no longer physically dead. He is not spiritually dead. He is alive. And brothers and sisters, you and I are spiritually alive as well. Let's act like it. In this pandemic, during this difficult, discouraging, desert-like time, I want to encourage you, act like a believer in Jesus Christ. If you truly believe, then act like it. I know you can. I'm seeing it, and it is difficult at times. And we want, sometimes it's like we've got to fake it, right? Well, go ahead and fake it for me, please, and then it will be real, because God is real. I believe that. Listen, you are not alone. You've not been abandoned You are equipped and empowered to not just survive, but to thrive, to thrive. Now, how? Right? Thank you, Rex. Needed that little spiritual kick in the rear, right? And maybe some of you are like, maybe that wasn't for you. Okay, but here's the thing. The question is now, how? There's always that how, right? Let me remind you that Jesus Christ told us to abide in him. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And over the next few Sundays, we're going to focus on how to abide. It's basic Christianity 101. And what are some practical ways to abide? Let's, let's start with the first one. It's going to be prayer. There's prayer. There's Bible reading. There's singing. There's meditation. Uh, there, there's uh, fasting. We're going to start with prayer. And please understand, okay, there are an endless number of books written on prayer. If I was to take the Bible and preach through the Bible on prayer, it could take over a year. And so you know me. You know, I'm just going to throw this out here. We're going to talk about it. If you want to go deeper, I invite you. Go to another podcast. Uh, crack open the Bible and study it more yourself. There's a lot of great resources and other pastors out there that maybe are going to spend uh, a couple months on it or a book on it. Go for it. I'm going to take you into it lightly and slowly, and then you can go deeper. I encourage you to go deeper. So prayer, 
What is it exactly? And how do you do it? Some of you are like prayer ninja warriors, aren't you? Okay, first person that comes to my mind is Rhonda Borden, right? She's so good at it, right? She is like that prayer ninja, right? Okay, it's like a daily discipline. Others of us are like, ah, prayer, are we going to eat? Because when somebody says prayer, the first thing you thought is, oh, it must be time to eat. Because you're not that big of a prayer warrior. And some of us are somewhere maybe in between. Maybe we're not the greatest at praying. Some of us um, are awesome at praying. But we do know this. It is imperative that we pray. It's one thing to social distance ourselves from one another, but we cannot distance ourselves from God. To do that is dangerous, it's unhealthy, and it is not the character of a Christian. Honestly, how can we call ourselves Christians if we are not praying? We begin our relationship with what? With prayer to God, admitting our sins, confessing our sins. We pray to him, asking him to become the Lord of our life. We surrender our life to him in prayer. And then we don't talk to him after that? How can that be? Larry Lee said this, our prayer life can can progress from duty to discipline to delight. I believe that. And maybe you're just lacking confidence. That's okay. Let's build that up, Christian. Let's build that up. After all, this is prayer. This is prayer. And our prayers are effective even when they seem short or weak or maybe poorly worded. They are effective. Listen, they're effective because of the authority that we have in Jesus Christ, which is based on the finished work at the cross. Our prayers are effective. No matter how weak you think they are, no matter how poorly worded you are, pray. Pray. So what is prayer? Let's go with a simple definition of prayer. Prayer is basically talking with God. It can take many forms, but all prayer is essentially a two-way conversation with our Lord. He listens attentively with affection to our prayers. He responds by revealing his heart by giving us direction, by blessing our circumstances, by transforming our emotions, by touching our loved ones, by reviving the church, by saving the lost, by releasing justice. You can talk to God about anything. And it's not so much what you say. It's about sharing your heart with God. You can pray anytime, anywhere. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you three important questions here. I'll put them up on the, on the screen for you and on your um, devices. How often do you talk to the most important person, people in your life? Think about this. Okay, which is spouse, family member, uh, an employer, employee, Best friend, who? How often do you talk to that person? Now, how often do you talk to God? Is it the same? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Answer those questions and answer them honestly. I did, and I didn't like my answers. How much time do you spend in prayer compared to social media, TV, a hobby of yours? I'm just saying, if prayer 
is so powerful, if it really matters, why don't we pray more often? Prayer is powerful. How often do you pray? Well, every now and then. Then you really don't believe it's powerful. Because if it's the most powerful thing out there that we have as Christians, why aren't we using it more often? Something to think about. You know, we grow in prayer by actually praying. Growth in prayer doesn't just happen overnight, but it will certainly happen. The discipline of prayer will eventually become delight in prayer. By the way, I'm not perfect here, okay? So as I stand up here before you, and I just want to let you know that I am not perfect in my prayer life. I pray like a dog. And what I mean by that is I start praying, and it's like, Heavenly Father, and I start praying, and all of a sudden, oh, squirrel. And I think about something like, oh, yeah, I got it. Okay. And then, okay. And God, help me with this. And, oh, oh, yeah. I need to make sure I do that today. And then, and, and then you know, be with Jenny, be with Colin, be with Carter, be with Clay. Oh, Clay's got this going on today. Da, da, da. Oh, okay. I, I'm telling you, my prayer life is like that of a dog. It's like so undisciplined at times. And I want it to be better. But then I ask myself, what is better? Is it like a video game, like the next level up? Like I'm on level four right now. I am prayer master. And I can't wait to be prayer colonel or prayer general. I don't know what the next level is, right? It's not about leveling up. It's about that relationship between me and God. And I need to be more disciplined at it. I admit that, okay? So join me and let's get better at this. Maybe, maybe you don't praise often because you doubt that God answers prayer. So I pray, right? I'm going to tell you right now, God does answer prayer. He does. Maybe not in your timing. Maybe he answers prayer quicker than you thought, and maybe it's slower than you hoped for. Regardless, he answers. I believe that when we talk to God, he will respond. Immediately or later. He responds. Can you think of a time, a definitive moment when God spoke to you? He will through his word. God will respond. Through his word, maybe through an email, maybe through another person's counsel, maybe you saw a sign. <laughs> Whatever it may be, I believe that God will respond. I apologize. I think my slides, I'm slow in hitting them. Just recently, I got a call from a, uh, a ministry in Toledo. And um, they were in desperate need of a pastor who could deliver a 10-minute message and do it today. And I was sitting there at home on the phone listening to their request. And I'm sitting there going, I already have my day scheduled out. I, I have all these things in my mind I need to get done today. So I would have to drop everything basically. Then I got to prepare a 10 minute message. And then I'm going to have to drive 45 minutes, do the 10 minute message, drive another 45 minutes back. And I'm going to walk into a, a TV station or a place that, that might have who knows what going on with this all COVID stuff, right? And I really honestly was not excited about going. And I started to think in my mind, what excuses can I make? Let's see, I got this going on. It's like, seriously, everybody's on lockdown. Like, what excuse do I have, right? Well, I just finished my morning devotions, by the way. And the Apostle Paul was sharing how he was compelled by the love of God, to share the good news. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Very inspiring. And as a minister of the gospel, what compels me? 
So what did I do? Well, they were desperate. I love doing God's work. No doubt about that. And I have a hard time saying no. Just ask my wife. And I told them I'd call them back in 20 minutes with an answer. I was stalling. Okay? So I hung up the phone and said, I'm going to call them back in 20 minutes. So what do I do next? I prayed. I prayed. And I prayed. I walked outside and prayed. Thinking, what am I going to do? I really don't want to, but yet I'm compelled to. And it was just battle going on. Pulled out my phone. Getting ready to call them back. And I thought, I'm going to check my emails real quick. I don't know why. It's a habit, right? And there was an email. just came in. At 19 minutes, and of course I'm calling back in 20 minutes. At 19 minutes, here's this email. Let me read this email. Unity. Inside those five letters are ideas like harmony, trust, peace, camaraderie, getting along, common purpose. The word can feel passive. We can assume that if we don't have conflict, we have unity. But unity is not passive. It is active. And if we're going to experience, we have to work for it. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, Ephesians 4.3. Paul's command is very straightforward. It's very direct. Make every effort. <laughs> Make every, I could have stopped right there and said, am I really making every effort right now for unity in the body of Christ? I got a brother and sister in Christ in Toledo asking for my help. Am I making every effort to help them right now? It's a command. It's a command to every single believer. It requires intentionality and courage. A church, a church will never, will never drift into unity and peace. A church never drifts into unity and peace. Marriages never drift into unity and peace. It takes work. John 17, and I continue in this email. John 17 is the longest prayer of Jesus ever recorded in the Bible. Jesus is about to be arrested. He will soon be crucified. Not only is his longest prayer, it's the only time he ever prays for us specifically. So what would Jesus pray for on our behalf? He prays for us. Here is Jesus on the night before his death, looking down through future generations and interceding for you and me. What a mind-boggling thought. Jesus is God in the flesh, praying for you. You and I were on his mind. Take a moment. Let that sink in. In less than 24 hours, he'd be arrested and he would endure the darkness and the weight of this world's sin. And he's thinking about you. He prayed this. John 17, starting in verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will, what? All be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Great form of evangelism, unity in the church. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I mean, the only time Jesus prays for us in scripture, he prays that we would be one. He doesn't intercede for us about money, about health, about our jobs, about knowledge, about close-knit families, about big churches. He prays for unity. 
So obviously this whole issue of unity is a big deal to Jesus, right? In fact, John 17 says our unity will result in the world believing. More than great sermons or powerful worship or fantastic children's ministry, unity in the body of Christ. Jesus said our unity is a major factor in the world believing the gospel. So in 19 minutes, one minute before I'm going to call them back, God answers my prayer. He answered my prayer. How obvious can this be? I called them back and I said, I'll be there to help you. What time do I need to be there? Listen, they aren't a part of our church, but they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I knew God wanted me to make every effort that day. When we talk to God, when we pray, he answers. I believe he answered. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't a, well, it just so happens, even though we often say those kind of things, right? I believe those are called answered prayers, God sightings. And you may, maybe you say, well, how can I be sure that I heard that that was God's voice? How can I be sure that this was answered prayer? Well, for starters, listen to this very carefully. God will never approve of your actions or ask you to do something that opposes his word, his character, or his nature. Listen, if it's not holy, then it's not God approving. I do know that. So when you're trying to decide and decipher, is this the answer prayer or not? If it goes against God's word, it is not answered prayer. God's not asking you to do that. Prayer must be the part, must be part of the life of a Christian. It's modeled through scripture. It was established in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. I'm going to throw a bunch of scriptures on the screen here. And you can go back and look at these. Genesis 3.18, Adam and Eve are conversing with God. They're walking through the Garden of, of, of Eden, conversing with him. Exodus 17, the children of Israel, they were complaining instead of praying. And they're going to get in trouble because they complained more than they prayed. Some, some things can be thought out with good counsel, right? Some things just need to be prayed out. Daniel was told, you can't pray, Daniel. In Daniel 6.10, Daniel's like, I'm going to pray. It says, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home. He knelt down as usual in the upstairs room. Windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day just, day, just like he'd always done, giving thanks to the Lord. He prayed. Matthew 4 begins with Jesus praying. Matthew 26, Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is ending his ministry in prayer. He begins it in prayer. He ends it in prayer. Mark 1.35, before daybreak, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Mark 6. 45 to 46. You've got to check this verse out. Let me read this. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat, head across the lake to Bethsaida, and he, went, he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills to pray by himself. Now, an interesting thing about this, Jesus just miraculously fed 5,000 people. Then he tells his disciples, I want you guys to get in the boat, go across. He tells the people, go home. I'm going to go up to the mountain and pray. Now, most people, after they have an awesome service, if we, if we had a church service where 5,000 people showed up, I'd be hanging around talking to people afterwards, be celebrating. This is awesome. Look how many people showed up. We were able to feed people physically, spiritually, right? Maybe it was a concert. And those musicians, after the concert, what are they doing? They're out in the lobby selling shirts, signing autographs. This is awesome, right? Jesus feeds 5,000 people. What does he do? Hey, no autographs. Sorry. Okay, no more stories. Get in the boat, guys. Go across. Everybody else, bye-bye. Go home. I'm going up to pray. When you look at these Greek words, like immediately, 
this, there's no delay. There is no detour. The word shows us it's the timing and the determination of Jesus. I'm going to go pray right now. And when he says that Jesus insisted that his disciples, that was a nice translation, okay? Other translation says constrained. It paints a picture of somebody raising their arm and saying, you guys need to go. It was almost like demonstrating force and authority. Compelled by force, she said, you all need to go home. I love you, but bye-bye. Okay, that's just sort of the way it worked, with determined force. After victory, here's what happened. Jesus prayed. I think this is an incredible scripture. Because a lot of times when I'm working, I feel compelled just to keep going without a break. And Jesus is like, no, no, take a break and pray. Stop and pray. We think work is our greatest accomplishment. Prayer is our greatest accomplishment. And I know a lot of people facing struggles right now. And maybe this is a hard time for you as well. The only way you're going to get through this and get through this victoriously is by spending time with the Lord and casting the weight of all your cares upon him. Psalm 55, 22 says, Give your burdens to the Lord. He'll take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. If God's calling you to set aside some extra time for him, be prepared for your flesh to put up a fight. Other things are going to scream for your attention, and you think, well, I need to pray, but I also need to get this done. Guess who's going to scream louder? God's never going to scream at you to come talk to him. The devil will distract you and discourage you as much as possible to keep you from going where you need to be in prayer. Because that's your source of strength. That's where your peace comes. That's where your answers are found in prayer. So obey what the Holy Spirit tells you. Go to your mountain and be with your heavenly Father in prayer. So church, let me ask you a question. On a scale, one to ten, how's your prayer life? Let's honestly answer that because if we don't honestly answer it, we can't move forward. Acts chapter 114 says, they, referring to the new church that was just getting started, they all met together and were constantly united in what? Singing songs. Listening to the pastor. Nope, nope. They were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Hmm. How are we doing with our prayer? I know 16 men in this church who have memorized Philippians 4, 6, 7, which says, don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 16 men have put that verse to memory. Why? Because they understand that verse. That we aren't supposed to be anxious about anything. We aren't supposed to worry about anything, but we're supposed to pray about everything. Pray about everything. Prayer matters. I'm going to ask uh, the worship team to come on up here. I've been waiting to say that. They have too. Being a person of prayer is the most important thing that you can do. A calling in life. Listen very carefully. It's a higher calling than being a spouse. Than being a parent than being a pastor, than being a leader in the business world. We will become far better spouses and parents and leaders if we take time to grow in prayer. See, while not every believer is called to preach, each one of us are called to pray. Prayer is not an optional activity. It is essential for our well-being. Listen, desert life stinks. We get it. We're all there, right? No one wants it. But if you end up there, what are you going to do about it? We can't control this right now, can we? 
We can't, but we can trust God. This wasn't the spring or summer I wanted. I wanted baseball. Some of you wanted a prom. Some of you wanted a high school musical. Some of you wanted banquets and weddings. But it's so out of our control. You know what? We can't control what's happening, but we can pray. Because control is not ours to take. You can't Google an answer for this one. Why COVID-19? Listen, it's out of our control. We are hoping for what? Lack of problems or the presence of God? Think about it. Which one do you want? Less problems or more of the presence of God? We need to pray more for the presence of God. What are you doing right now in this desert situation? I want you to thrive, church. I want you to pray. Will you join me in getting better at our prayer life? Will you take time, devote time to get off to the mountain, whatever that looks like? It might be a chair in your living room. It might be out in your back deck. It might be in a garage. It might be in your bedroom. Whatever your mountain is, get there and get alone with God. Seek Seek the presence presence of of God. God. Let's Let's pray. Heavenly Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, we we come come to you now because we need your presence. Because we feel alone. We feel like we're in a desert situation and it's, it's uncomfortable. It's unwanted. And it even at times feels ungodly. I'm getting to the point, Lord, where, where I'm feeling it's just not healthy to be separate from this church body. And I, I long, long for, for us, us gathering, gathering together. together. It's, it's hard, hard to be patient, patient but as we read in Romans chapter 12, we have a hope in you, especially during these times when we need to be patient. So God, I thank you that we can come to you in prayer. We can bring our burdens to you. We can seek answers for our prayers. We can seek your presence in our life. And that's what we ask for now. God, what an amazing God you are. Help us to thrive in this moment, Lord. In thy name we pray.